0: The reality is, the only person who's got his own cabin is it was me, the captain. But that cabin was in the control room, so it was right at the back of the control room. Uh, people walking past it, it was the size of a downstairs toilet, but just extended a little bit. That's how that's how big it was, effectively. So nobody else has got their own personal space. You just get used to it. You find yourself areas of where you can find some space. You put some headphones on and, and listen to something else. You've just got to learn to get on with people. There'd always be disagreements, fights, those stuff. Those, those things happen. That's just friction you just got to let that play out because people need to vent frustration i used to wander around the submarine you see people moving around each other not because of rank or anything else i would move out the way for people uh, people would move out the way for me i used to think that if the world was like a submarine there'd be actually no reason for submarines whatsoever you choose to be a submariner you don't choose to be part of the crew of hms turbulent you are you're all thrown in a pot and um well thrown in a tin can as it happens but and then you have to work it out between all of you
1: Welcome to the always better than yesterday podcast. I am your host Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at elevate online marketing. On episode 189, I'm joined by retired Royal Navy commanding officer and author Ryan Ramsey. Ryan was on active duty in the submarine service between 1991 and 2014. During his career, he was the captain of nuclear-powered submarine HMS Turbulent, which he has served worldwide in covert operations, which he has documented in his book SSN-14. On returning, he was made the commanding officer of the submarine command course, Perisher. There are so many great insights that I know that you're going to take away from this episode. Whilst the context of our conversation is around submarine leadership, submarine command, the application is going to be universal because at the heart of leadership is people and at the heart of Ryan's leadership is people. I am looking forward to you hearing about Sweaty Sunday, which is going to reveal the power of leadership and culture and staying calm in a crisis. Because on this given day, the people that Ryan was responsible for were put at risk. Their lives were at risk. This was a real crisis, which leadership has helped them navigate what higher stakes are we ever going to get in leadership there are so many great takeaways here we go episode 189 with ryan ramsey ryan welcome to the always better than yesterday podcast how are you yeah good good to be here thanks very much for inviting me i tell you what i'm claustrophobic
0: i'm
1: I'm claustrophobic yeah so the the career that you've had i've been reading your book and in it you say you either love to be a submariner or you hate it and i (laughs) <laughs> I have a feeling that I would be the latter, but I'd love to know what intrigued you about pursuing a career as, as a submariner. Um, I don't think
0: it was like a long term, I wasn't a kid and went, I want to be, I want to be a submariner. I just happened to be when I joined the Navy, um, we, we went to sea on a submarine when I was a midshipman and I just found it fascinating. The teamwork, um, the confined nature of what they were doing, it was just uh, incredible. And from that moment on, I almost thought, right, that's it. I want to join the submarine service and be part
1: of that team. Mm. And um, at what point along that journey does leadership become something that really captures your imagination? So, so you're leading
0: at pretty much every level, but obviously yeah. at different sort of scale. And I think for me, the fascination with leadership comes in when you're edging towards that point of you want to command a submarine and you want to go through the submarine command course to see or the perisher course to see whether you, you are capable of doing that. Um, and I think that's when you, when, you, when your real focus starts with that.
1: Hmm. I understand that you served under 10 captains before becoming a, a captain of your own ship and like how do you re- reflect on that do you do you take little bits from from those that you've served under maybe there are some elements that you you don't want to display like how did you kind of rationalize your own identity as, as a becoming captain.
0: It's a really good question. So so I think a bit broader than just the 10 captains that I served with, but um, I was fortunate enough to do a couple of exchanges with the Dutch Navy and also with the US Navy. And whilst I was with the US Navy, I got to see their their command course so I got to see about 100 uh, potential captains go through it Mm. and I I was pretty meticulous about watching how people led um, what matched my leadership style what were some really good things that I could take forward when I was in when I was going to go and take command uh, and things not to do as well and um, so, so I'm a big believer in Uh, learning by other people's mistakes as much as you can you're going to make mistakes yourself but at least you've got um, strategies to recover those so um, so for me I I was privileged to have a huge swathe of um, people
1: to watch and work out how that fitted in with how I led Mm. one of the things I've taken from your book which is um, SSN um, 14 is is this element of calm managing emotion consistency and yet there's this one bit where you talk about how um, irrational anger became commonplace at sea like what is like some of the things you experience with because I think you and I talk about a different style of leadership which is servant based servant oriented and yet yet the the my my background is in policing and the history of command-based leadership has been one of top down sometimes it can be do as I say and sometimes those those uh that atmosphere can be one of a passive aggressive or even full-on aggression like how did you how did you feel uh, about bucking that trend and, and doing things in a different way
0: well I think I think it's this- Submarine is a great way to great way to be able to do that. So yes, during, during my career, I experienced some very toxic leadership. I describe it as, mm. and I'm not a big fan of that. It's just not how how I operate. And I really do believe that if you are in a privileged position of leadership, whatever level it is, you're serving those you lead. Um, and for me, when when I when I was um, fortunate enough to serve as captain. It was that environment. Everybody got to say we were a democracy right up until a decision was made. And then once the decision was, was made, we went in that direction. Um, and some of the best ideas that came up for you know how we're going to deal with a potential enemy, how we're going to deal with a defect that's come on, came from the most junior people hmm. because they've been empowered that they they had a say and they had a, um, a say in everything everything that we did. Now that's that's not the same as obviously you do give commands. So if you're going to go left, you're going to say port fifteen. If you're going to go and go over here, if it's emergency, that, that's something slightly different. Um, but in those, creating the plan, creating the strategy and having part of that, everybody was involved in it. And, and it, it was it was a, a really good environment, I think.
1: Yeah, I like one of the things that you said is that when you first took um, command of, of that, um, of the of HMS Turbulent, you had to show them that you could do it once. You could show them that you can take control of that ship once, almost as a like a demonstration of, look, I've got competency here. But then it was like you don't need to show them again. Is you enable the team, and and I guess yeah, from from my background in in well, in leadership development in in the main is so often people don't do the second part of what you just said. <laughs> they see almost like a constant need to demonstrate competence.
0: That that's true, and I think you know I was I was lucky enough to serve for one captain who told me exactly that. So, and I, maybe if I hadn't listened to what he said, maybe I'd have, I'd have acted slightly differently. But I remember him saying. Um, he was in his cabin we were doing a torpedo firing exercise and I, I came into his cabin he was sat on his hands <laughs> I said I said what are you doing he said you know the hardest part about being a captain is once you've got this position mm-hmm. and you're going to jot is to let everybody else do it and only jump in when it goes wrong and that's what I did but in order to be able to do that you've got to demonstrate credibility I was mm-hmm. fortunate I had a very good reputation um, before I joined the submarine service as a small organization you're well known but I still had to demonstrate it and mm-hmm. The, um, I would say, unfortunately and fortunately, something went wrong. I jumped in, dealt with it, handed it back, coached people and then just let them do it. So what they knew then was I was going to let them uh, drive our submarine, manage our submarine. And if things went really wrong, I could jump in and sort it out for them. Mm. Uh, But that was it. Teach the person below you, your job learn the job of the guy above you make sure as many people as possible get to try absolutely everything because it'll help them out later on in their careers
1: hey my friends thank you for listening to the always better than yesterday podcast i hope that you're enjoying the interview i would be really grateful if you would just take a moment to pause and just leave this podcast a review Whether it's on iTunes, whether it's on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast, I'd be grateful for you to leave a review and help more people experience our podcast and our message of heart-centered leadership. I am so grateful for you pushing play and spending time with us here at Always Better Than Yesterday. If you do go on to leave a review, please just take a screenshot, share it, tag us in. At always better than yesterday UK, and when you do, I will send you a 20% off to our merchandise store as a little thank you from me to you. Here we go, back to the interview. Mm, I think there's a huge application of um, all of your principles to the business world, and I'm sure we'll come to that in a bit. But before we get too far along the story, you joined the Navy in 1991, I understand, and then in 2008 you adopt. Uh, the HMS turbulent as captain. Help set us the sort of context, help set us the context of what was going on in the world, where you were about to be deployed um, before we get into some of the actual mission that you were on. But, you know, help us understand the context. Sure. So so
0: I was fortunate. I took command of HMS Turbulent in 2008. We did one patrol um, in, the, in the Atlantic. Then we came down, broke down for um, a, a defect that needed to be repaired. It took a long time, took nine months. During that period of time, the team that I'd built up inherited and, 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 and moved on, they all disappeared, new people joined, mm-hmm. uh, and he had to rebuild the team again. And then take, if you fast forward on to 2011, by the time we've got to 2011, we've done all the preparation, we're all ready to go, and then we're going to go and deploy on a 286-day deployment um, in the Indian Ocean, effectively. So um, so, and if you look at the context, it was quite quiet at the beginning of 2011, not a lot going on, it looked like it was going to be a bit of a dull deployment, may, may I say that, but um, then, of course, uh, Libya happened. Um, the uh, Arab Spring happened. Uh, Iran started tensioning, really tensioning, about um, shutting the Straits of Hormuz, which was going to affect oil supply. Pirates had become more prevalent in um, off the coast of Somalia, so everything seemed to be just getting worse and worse during that period of time. Uh, And that was the context for which we sailed um, into uh, the Mediterranean, off to Libya, through the Suez Canal, and then into the Indian Ocean to conduct patrols out there. Mm. Uh,
1: I understand that there's a motto to the HMS Turbulent, which creates a spirit for those on board. What is that motto?
0: Turbulenta hostibus fiat, which means troublesome to our enemies, and uh, we were we were big believers. Everybody who joined uh, HMS Turbine, it's not just the crew that I led. I was a custodian for for that submarine. That submarine had been going since the um, late '80s, mm-hmm. and every crew's the same. The successor submarine, but the motto stood fast. We were troublesome to our enemies.
1: <laughs> what does that mean in application?
0: So, an application means two things. It means protecting our shores. In, in and uh, I'm not going to go into the intelligence gathering stuff that does it, but protecting our shores and making sure that no harm comes our way. And then when we have to deal with a, a, an enemy or a potential enemy face to face, we we make it as difficult as we can for them. And the idea being is is not just um, just effective kinetic activity but it's to make sure that any opposing nation realizes that that it's really difficult to deal with uh, British SSN. Yeah
1: one of the ways I define leadership is it's the willingness to serve and also the willingness to sacrifice when required and um, one of the things i like about your book is that you dedicate this book to all of the families of those who served on hms turbulent as almost like a tip of the hat to the sacrifices that they all make like you as, as the one ultimately responsible for all those people on board when you when you go into a deployment you know what goes through your heart and your mind uh, as a leader
0: so, so it's, it's interesting. You can look at um, submarine leadership as just the submarine, or you can actually look at submarine and people in it. But I didn't do that. I looked at it as the whole entity, mm-hmm. the whole family, the submarine family that goes with it. And so the families had a really difficult call. We, we all know that we're sailing and we're going off to do a particular mission. We know what those missions are. We know how we're going to deal with it. We know what the risks are. We sign up for those risks. Mm-hmm. We understand we're not going to communicate with families, friends during that period of time, and, and we're able to accept that. But meanwhile, the families are in the UK. Generally, um, they are getting on with life. Most of the uh, most of the spouses are effectively being single parents during that period of time. Kids missing out on on seeing their father. Um, now fathers and mothers, obviously, because mm-hmm. um, uh, we, we have women in the submarine service and rightly so. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the sacrifices they have to make. So they go on as if life is normal and always wonder whether in the back of their heads, always wonder whether they're going to come back. Because yeah. um, it, it is even if you take away the war fighting and and, and combat operations, the reality is just taking the most complex platform that the british military owns into a, a space that's less explored than space hmm. is a really difficult thing to do the environment is it can, can be your biggest killer in effect so so my my bit was to make sure that they were looked after and as best best we could and then to make sure my crew were looked after so they weren't worrying too um, and that, that's a huge responsibility it really is Mm. um you sometimes do it at the sacrifice of yourself and Mm. uh, and you you come last in that equation totally and it's about making sure that everybody has got what they need and personal approach for me is is everything with
1: that Mm. and and you just said that 286 day deployment and i and i imagine that's in a confined space no bigger than a football pitch um very close quarters to your colleagues is there just no escape there really
0: isn't any escape. So, so um,
1: you know, the, the reality
0: is the only person who's got his own cabin is it was me, the captain, but that cabin was in the control room. So it was right at the back of the control room, uh, people walking past it. It was the size of a downstairs toilet, but just extended a little bit. That's how that's how big it was effectively and um and so nobody else has got their own personal space and bunks is a 28 28 man bunk which is, is is difficult to live in and you just you just get used to it you find yourself areas of where you can find some space you put some headphones on and, and listen to something else but you've just got to learn to get on with people and i used to say that uh, there are there, there'd always be disagreements fights those type of, those, those things happen that's just friction and you just got to let that play out because people need to vent frustration um but the reality was when I used to wander around the submarine you see people moving around each other not because of rank or anything else I would move out of the way for people uh, people would move out of the way for me and it, I used to think that if the world was like a submarine there'd be actually no reason for submarines whatsoever because mm-hmm. you, you don't choose you choose to be a submariner you don't choose to be part of the crew of HMS Turbulent you are you're all thrown in a pot and um, well throw in a tin can as it happens but and then you have to work it out between all of you
1: yeah that's powerful because I guess there's underlying stress and tension close quarters you're on a mission uh, trying not to feel like there's a a, an essence of fear and being attacked Uh, I guess we you know you're not coming to your work and your job from a base level of I've had a chilled morning about there's always going to be an underlying level of tension. And I guess, where do you then go when crisis happens? And, and, you know, you talked about, you know, looking at your family, wondering whether you're going to get home. And I understand you had one of those moments yourself.
0: I did. I I didn't, I didn't obviously share any of that at the time because consistency um, and fear is not particularly what people want to see in a, uh, a captain at that time. They want to know that We've got um, sorry inconsistency. We you, you've got somebody who's constant is measured and is making decisions, but that that flash can't help. You know that flashback back can't help you deal with it. You 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 go through that because it's an emotional thing. But the whole piece for for leadership in those type of environments is control of your emotion and, mm-hmm. and making sure that the emotion doesn't burden you, overcome you. And then you get uh, you allowed to focus on solving the problem. The whole bit with anything that's going wrong is just find the solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. And somebody will find the solution. You will all find the solution together. So um, So that becomes your focus and you stop focusing on family, you stop focusing on friends, you stop focusing on what might go really, really badly wrong yeah. and try and work the solution
1: yeah and, and i understand that um you know logical rational problem solving strategy that becomes increasingly difficult when mm-hmm. the actual temperature around us starts to increase right so here you <laughs> are so here you are in a situation where i understand the air conditioning has stopped working and failed um, and the temperature on board your ship is is increasing to alarming rates how talk to us about that situation and, and what sort of problems that you had to handle
0: yeah so um the the 25th of may 2011 was a was a pretty tough day it was a sunday as it happened so which is why the crew entitled it sweaty sunday <laughs> um the reality was for, for, for an event that lasted it felt like ages but the, the event was approximately two and a half to three hours long during that period of time when the, uh, we were on the surface on our way out of Fajara, um, which is the uh, port that we'd been in, um, we were about two and a half hours away from Fajara when all the air conditioning plants failed. Now, that sounds innocuous. It doesn't sound like anything. But if you imagine the water temperature was 37 degrees Celsius, the air temperature was 42 degrees Celsius, you've got a nuclear reactor on board, you've got steam generators Build everything's heat. Um, any bit of equipment that you put on produces heat, so suddenly the temperatures go up inside the submarine to uh, just over 40 degrees in the forward part of the submarine, and then up to 60 degrees, 60 degrees in the after part of the submarine, and 100% humidity. So, um, and then you get the first heat casualty, and it's amazing how quickly those heat casualties, um, ha- how how heat affects you so so quickly, and it's a completely wicked problem. This is something that nobody we we'd never seen before as a team and submarine training is absolutely brilliant they train you to deal with absolutely everything Mm. but they train you to deal with what's been seen before and that this hadn't been seen before Mm. so when the first casualty um first casualty was called um i i I happened to have just got down below into just heat and you're trying to get situational awareness really really quickly you can see in people's eyes uh, and and their postures that a, they don't know what's going on. B, they want to know they're going to be okay. But you can also see there's a bit of fear going on there as well. And rightly so, this is unknown to them. It's, it's, it's a wicked problem. So um, when the first casualty went from heat exhaustion, uh, I, I went back to the uh, engine room, to maneuvering room, spoke to the engineer. Um, they didn't know what the problem was uh, at that point, but they knew, knew it's serious. And, and there also there's a whole load of consequences if this goes goes further. Um so the one thing to do is get around your crew whilst you're trying to um, assimilate everything that's going on and hoping that between you all you formulate a solution to 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 deal with this. Um so so yeah, that was that was a pretty tough start to 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 that two and a half hours. And the more casualty casualties you saw, um, and it was really distressing seeing your own crew um in those condition in those conditions and those positions. With one paramedic and two medics on board trying to manage the entire situation that, that, that goes goes with that. And then quickly it was about risk. So um so the risks were um, weapons cooking off. That's the first thing, that's not great. The reactor has a fail-safe mechanism, so it shuts itself down, and then you've got no power, and you can't run a diesel generator because it's too hot in order to get it. You're a long way from any uk support so trying to get any uk support nearest thing there's helicopters a couple of hours away but they can only stay on station for about 15 minutes that's not going to help in in any way um to, to evacuate huge amounts of people if you actually needed to do that mm. and then a frigate was 24 hours away so that's not going to help you um and then you're starting to think about what the solutions so some of the hydraulic systems are starting to fail now um, electrical systems are failing, everything's starting to fail. And, and importantly, people are, um, people are losing. I would I would say that there's a point when people are losing focus. So communications yeah. is everything communicate, communicate, communicate. Mm-hmm. So communicating with everybody, telling them what we're thinking, listening to ideas, the, that whole bit about empowerment, the most junior guy on board the submarine pointed out that actually it wasn't going to be any of that that's going to, that's going to kill us. It's going to be the, um, the air because we're not we're not doing anything to remove carbon dioxide mm. and so he goes off and switches on the emergency carbon dioxide uh, units mm. extraction units so people do things because they're empowered and they report back that information and then gradually between you, you suddenly start working what the solution is and the solution in this particular case was not to try and go back to Fajara because we'd never make it it wasn't to wait for help because that would be too long some you know people people would would die before we got to that stage but because we've done so much preparation on our way in we we looked at the data and the data to Amanda has said that the temperature at 200 meters was 20 degrees celsius mm-hmm. and therefore if we could get the submarine underwater in all the tertiary modes sort of reserve modes effectively we can cool the submarine down if we can cool the submarine down then the engineers can fix the problem and that's exactly what we did.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so powerful. I remember reading a book by Matthew Saeed called Black Box Thinking. Oh, yeah. He yeah, talks that. a lot about the ER room and how some of the junior people in that room did not have maybe the confidence or the permission to speak up to the most uh, senior surgeons, for example. And that would result in in some ca- catastrophic events. I was uh, fortunate enough to interview a American um, captain, uh, David Marquet, uh, oh, yeah, who yeah. wrote Turn the Ship Around. Yeah. And one of the things that you know is the hallmark of uh, of what he talks about is this intent based leadership. and um I was reading through some of your book and and there was a um there was a section where uh, one of the your junior colleagues he said the words "I intend to do something and I, I and i and I picked up on that and i I wonder what what does it take to create that environment where the most junior colleague because because we'd like to think that that's true most leaders don't consciously create environments where the junior people don't feel that they can speak but how do you with your leadership and your organization do that in in such a way that it that it happens without having um the average junior person just having an act of courage in that moment how do you how do you set yourself up for that to be part of your culture
0: so I think there's, there's two elements. The first element is allowing everybody to have a say. So, yeah. so everybody. So if we were having an operations group or um, an engineering meeting, everybody got to have a say with that mm. um, and listen really listen don't dismiss it immediately because you think you actually act actively listen to what they what they have to say and fit that in and if it's if you're not going to use it you explain why so you turn and say look that's a great idea but it won't fit a reason abc but keep on coming with those things so encouraging people the second one for me was that what i mentioned a bit earlier which is allowing everybody to have a go of everything effectively so Mm -hmm. the most junior officer on board my submarine was actually the um was actually the Tomahawk strike officer mm-hmm. completely in contrast to every other submarine that would have um maybe a rank or two ranks above him doing that and everybody goes well no he can't do that i said well why can't he he'll be absolutely buzzing with this Mm -hmm. and and he he was so he did it so by enabling those people and enabling everybody to have a go so i would sometimes for a day step down from being the captain and let one of the junior officers do it for a day so they got that experience Mm -hmm. and that gave them the two things one perspective Mm -hmm. because suddenly they got to see the world through the eyes of senior leadership and two they could they knew that they could add stuff because they could understand the context that went with everything and i think once people start doing that and people aren't put down when they do that then everybody does it
1: yeah that's powerful uh, so so i'm trying to have the ceo who's listening to this gain perspective so one thing is is about equipping and empowering and giving those Perspective, but there's also something powerful that you receive as the the head of that organization at that time. To receive the intent of those people, you you gain an insight into their psyche, their thoughts, their problem solving, and and many of the CEOs that I speak to, they forget that information can be a two way thing. Yes, and and <clears> what does that do for you as a, as the as the captain to receive that information upwards?
0: So, so I think there's there's it's really good feedback. So feedback is I'd say when I was when I was a commander, definitely, feedback wasn't well valued, but I I love feedback. If you think I'm not doing this, because this is our submarine, right? Not my submarine. Um, it's probably the government's submarine, actually, but it's our submarine. <laughs> and therefore, and, and we're a family. So if I'm not yeah. doing it right, I need to know what is what is not working with you, because I can change as well. And I think that a lot of leaders think that um not think that they're 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 educated to think that once they've got into that position that they cannot change where they are and they must stay there and that must be it. And and I wasn't like that. It was all about making sure that you take feedback with it. Um and if people think it's wrong, come into my cabin and tell me that you think it's wrong. We'll have that conversation one-to-one, but mm-hmm. tell me I, I, I want to hear what what I can do to 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 be different. Mm-hmm. And all of that applies to the outside world. I, I, I was I was uh, to the business world I was amazed. People go instantly, they go, well, you're, you're a military leader and therefore you're just going to lead like a military leader. And I'd always Mm -hmm. go, what does a military leader lead like then? Because what, what's your stereotype that you now, you now pigeon me with. Mm -hmm. And and when I went offshore, it was exactly the same. So, so offshore leadership can be quite autocratic and and I'm not, and, and I'm a democratic leader and I want people to have a say, I'll step in if it's an emergency and I'll deal with stuff immediately. Or if it's not fast enough but up until that point everybody has a say yeah um and and i think it applies in the business world as well i think um the the easier sorry the the more opportunities that leaders have to turn around and reflect and think okay i i don't have to be this alpha male leader whatever else it is or stereotype leader this is me this is these are the good skills i have These are the skills I don't have, and therefore I'm going to lever off um, John, Jane, whoever it is, in order to compensate, because we're a team. It's just that one of us has to make decisions, and that's me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, too many leaders following Hollywood's version of uh, leadership. Yes. But before we move on from HMS Turbulent, um, how did that story, how did that, it's not a story, it's reality, how did that uh, conclude? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. So we dug we dived the um we dived the submarine and managed to cool the submarine down.
0: Um and th- that was an interesting moment actually when we dived the submarine because um people you remember we talked a bit about credibility and have, doing one things once. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in this time at this point, I was doing everything myself. Um and therefore, and, and I could I could look around and I can read people, I could read my team really, really well. And for probably the first time in the entire time I I commanded. You could see people going is this really going to work and that's quite um, unnerving Mm. and and the reality was i didn't know what it was going to work either but the data said that it should and um and there was this one data point when i said because i told everybody i said look we're going to go down to 200 meters the water temperature down there should be about 20 degrees celsius we'll cool everything down change all the water out it gives us time to stabilize, fix the problem, and then we'll come back up to periscope depth and, and carry on with what we're doing. And um, and people go, there was, a, there was a really okay. So um, so as we as we dived, um, we got down to about 30 meters. And one of the engineers to said, and the water temperatures are 37 on the surface, and he said, water temperature is dropping, it's now at 28 degrees, and you could mm-hmm. see everybody in the Kachoram go, right, he's right, the plan's gonna work. Yeah. So um so we fixed the problem and uh less than 14 hours later we were on patrol now that that, that there was there was a whole lot of recovery after that long term um stress to deal with uh some life-changing moments for some people uh there was this one moment when one of the guys decided he was gonna a lot later this was decided he was gonna leave his wife and and we're doing everything to persuade him not to do that mm-hmm. and he said he said while sat in my cabin um he's I said you don't want to do this we're on our way back and we're only a month and a bit away and he said no I do because at that moment when I thought it was all over it wasn't her I thought about and I thought wow defining moments that, mm-hmm. those were and still now, so um, unfortunately, one of my crew passed away a couple of weeks ago, and we were at the funeral last week, and that was the conversation with Swati Sunday. Mm. So, yeah, very defining moment. Mm. Um,
1: there's a lot of um, there's a lot of support these days around, you know mindfulness well-being that comes down to you know the power of breath work and the way that we think like were those alien terms like you know even as far back as uh, 10 years ago 2011 or, or, or was that some, maybe some subconscious things that you were doing using the power of your breath to regain access to your kind of calm states
0: um so, so I think that was a little bit alien back yeah. then what what wasn't alien was um trauma management, effectively. Sure. So so learnings from Afghanistan we incorporated into the submarine service. And whilst we were alongside before we deployed, we trained up um five people in in how to manage that process. So what that says is in the event of a firefight in Afghanistan, rather than waiting six months to talk about it, you'd unpack that immediately afterwards Mm -hmm. um, because otherwise you start going down, building up the stress and everything else that goes with it, leading to PTSD and everything else. And that worked really, really well for the crew. The the um, I I didn't do it to be. It took me years later before I sort of unpacked it and went, wow, actually, that was a really significant event in life. And I should, should have probably unpacked it on the day. And The mindfulness stuff—that—that um, that not so much. But the reality was, we were always focused on um, uh, focused on fitness,
1: yeah.
0: a fit in mind, fit in body. That—that's really important. And equally, everybody talked. So yeah. we would all share. We would all talk. Um, Submarinus humor is exceptionally black, as you yeah. can imagine. It's very dark. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that's how we how we dealt with things, and it seemed to work. So, yeah.
1: Uh, and I understand that you then um, return, you you become appointed as the commanding officer of the parachute program, which is about uh, training submarine captains. Is that correct?
0: That was correct. So, um, so I decided when I was on the submarine, every admiral that came down on board the submarine would tell me, this is the best job. Just remember it. You know, you're going to go off the MAD and you're going to get promoted and everything else. And I sort of made a decision then that um, I didn't I just wanted to leave on a massive high? I didn't want to go to the Ministry of Defence and work with no money or find it really difficult. I, I just just wanted to leave and then try the business world. But then they asked me to, and I didn't share that. That was that was me thinking. And then they asked me. Um, they didn't ask me. They pointed me to be the um, to uh, teach the parish course, which was an absolute privilege. So so not only have I, I've just had the best three years in my life that I'm never going to replicate never going to replicate that I know that and then they're going to give me the privilege to train the next generation of submarine captains and make sure that you know my responsibility wasn't to those captains it was to the crew that they were going to serve Mm -hmm. and to make sure that they had the best training that they possibly could and that they passed the hardest or failed the hardest um the hardest selection course there is in in the maritime world.
1: Mm, I, um, I read that there's a difference between those who are competent to command a ship and those that are competent to command a submarine, and there are differences. What, what, what makes someone competent to command a, a submarine?
0: Yes, I think, I think there's, there's, there's we should try and unpack those because g- command in its generic term is, is pretty similar for both um the difference for a submarine versus um a ship ship's got more space um the captain's in his own he's got all those gets around the ship he's got his own area that he can get away from things and everything else so mm-hmm. so there's almost a space where where if he needs time for himself he can do that whereas on a submarine you can't on a submarine you're de- dealing in three dimensions you're dealing with loads of unknown variables things you can't track things you don't know enemies you don't know about all those type of things and the decision making, um, particularly, is is it ranges from being really long to being really short, just like that, and um, and you have to be able to transition between between the two. So for me, if if I was um, and I gave I, I you know we changed the training a lot. We 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 brought into lots of modern scenarios and stuff like that that went with it. But the basics were the same. The basics were huge um, mental agility, the mental agility, you need to be a submarine captain is is huge. Um, And then you've also got um, decision making. So can you make decisions and at the right time, as opposed to just making decisions, you can make decisions too early, and you, you set forth Uh, a whole thing that might not have happened or you make decisions too late and and you can't uh, achieve the effect you want. And and the final one for me is goes back to consistency and how you are with your men. Um, So, I mean, on the first course, one of the guys I failed was because you could watch how he interacted with his men. Very, very bright guy, tactically amazing, Mm -hmm. but his men wouldn't follow him. And if they're not going to follow him, if they're not following through choice, then they're following because they've been told to, mm. and you're going to get the wrong results. And you're going to, you're going to just, you know, for, for a period of time, you just destroy a whole group of people. So, um, so th- those are, those are the things I think make it very different.
1: Yeah. And uh, I know that legacy is an important you know concept for you and I, I guess now, having been out of uh, the Navy for some time, are you starting to see the living legacies of, of that time as a commanding officer of the Perisher Programme? I, I am, so,
0: so I'm re- really privileged to say that um, all the ones so all the ones I failed went off to go and do well elsewhere in the Navy. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, two of them have gone out left since and they're doing well in the business world. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I gave them gave them huge amounts of support when they failed the course and said, look, it's just you you can't be a submarine captain. Mm-hmm. You can do loads of other things. You can still lead, you just can't lead in this environment at this mm-hmm. level. So so that's it. It doesn't make you a better or worse person for having failed or passed the course. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're all doing well. Um, since then, two of my students have gone on to teach the parish of themselves, which, mm-hmm. uh, which I think so, that makes me very happy. So they'll continue um, that, and they'll get the same buzz I get out of the fact that you see the you see your students in in command and being captains and doing what they're doing and doing better than I ever did in the navy now, mm-hmm. um, and that makes me really proud to have been a part of their leadership journey.
1: Mm-hmm. You said the word wicked problems earlier, and I was fortunate enough in my time in the police to spend a bit of time at RAF Cranwell. So I I understand the the terminology around wicked problems, but there was a huge benefit for me being a, a, whilst I was in the police, I was a civilian role, I was organisational development, Mm -hmm. and there was a huge amount of um, sharing perspectives that was really beneficial for both um, operational and, and, and civilian leadership. What do you think um, the value of a of a CEO or a business leader going through something like a Perisher course? You know, maybe not applied to I do not I don't. I don't think many people out there are trained to be CEOs. What What would your version of a CEO Perisher course look like?
0: It's, it's really interesting to say that. So, so I thought long and long and hard about that because. Um, that there are other leadership courses, and um, I was fortunate when I was when I was teaching Perisher to spend a lot of time in Police Scotland, mm-hmm. so I went off and did the um, silver and then the gold commanders course, and mm-hmm. and equally I took the police to see with us as well, and, and I I took away. In fact, we exchanged quite a lot between both the courses and said, "Oh, that's really good. You could apply that." So then you start thinking about in the. Um, in the business world and I, and I was completely open when i entered the business world i think shell did it very well they had leadership courses set up as you moved up the levels but then you look at some of the other um entities whether it's FTSEs down to smes um footsie 250s down to smes The the courses whether they're fit for the purpose they need is really is really difficult to difficult to say so i think you could have a a um a course for CEOs and the whole thing for me would be leadership out of context. So mm. when when I was when I was teaching Perisher, we had um we had Debenhams when they were still around, come down. We had um, Virgin come down, and what we do is, and it was all about what you were talking about. How can you turn around and say whether somebody's uh, going to be effective as a as a leader? Um, not understanding business, out with the business, just pure leadership. And so we set up this course, which is really good. So you take them out of the context, you explain to them how submarines operate, and then you take them into the simulator. And you turn them mm-hmm. out and say, I'm going to stand with you. You're now in charge, and you're sat in the seat. There is loads of information going on there. And they will explain to you in really simple terms what is going on. And some of it you'll find difficult to understand, and I will help you through that. And there will be a decision to be made, and you have to make that decision and um or you don't it's up to you 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 just have to work it out and that yeah. works really really well and and from that you could turn around and go okay that person could make decisions based on this information that person cannot make decisions uh that person looks for collaboration but can't do that and and what we built around that was an objective wow. assessment matrix and um and I, I think that would work really really well for selection
1: mm, i love that and um one of the things I heard you on a, on a podcast recently was um, earlier this year was that you talked about training people under extreme stress. You're almost pushing people to their yes. limits because it's better to do that in a safe environment than it is to go off into the Suez Canal and, and then find out what your limits are, right?
0: Correct, absolutely. So, so uh, uh, I, I think the military has always been very good at that. They've got time to do it and, and budget for, for training is pretty good. But you never go anywhere without being trained. And, and I, I think that was best. A submarine would not be allowed to go off on patrol without having completed successfully completed training. Because when it goes wrong, um, and if it's catastrophic and people and you come back and you go, well, did you just let them go off? Yeah, well, that doesn't work. And for some reason in the business world, we don't don't seem to do a great deal of that. Then we talk about business continuity plans and executing business continuity plans but I'd challenge any business to turn around and say that they do that on a regular basis and they make sure they do um business emergency command um effectively um so, cuz I don't think that happens I think what happens is people get tied into I call it the day job um but they don't look yeah. at the consequence when things go 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 wrong
1: yeah and and I and I read that you said that there were I think three elements that you um see a successful execution of your role and you said serving your people managing the platform and dealing with the operation i think what you've just said there is that you know you 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 see that there are three responsibilities but you said it was the team that took up most of your time and rightly so that's true
0: Le- leadership is a people say this and not but few mean it but leadership is a people business mm. It's it's about how you get a team that you've created or you've inherited to get going in the direction you need to do it. People talk about culture and um, there's loads of stuff about culture and cultural change. That all starts at the top, but with you and your people and how you change and how you show up and the standards that you set and how you expect everybody else to do the standards and how you support them in achieving those standards and explaining the why they're doing it. Mm And the difficulty, I think, in the business world is because it's nine to five in many cases, people go home to their own activity. And that was tough for me to get used to when I um, when I moved into the business world is that whereas I might be 24 seven with everything I do, because that's just who I am. And that's how I've been brought up over 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, That's not everybody. And then as soon as you start understanding that context and you go, okay, right. okay, So, so they've come in to do a job between nine to five. That's it. But during that nine to five bit, I'm going to make sure that they're able to do the best they possibly can. And I'm going to support them with this. I'm going to understand their whys and what motivates them I'm going to have good conversations with them get what 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 we call in the navy walking the teak so going around and talking to people just to find out how the day is going and and the more you the more you do that the more you know your people and the more you know your people you know when things are going wrong on an individual basis for them and you yeah. can help them and intervene if you need to and I think that that bit in many cases is very difficult to achieve it huge scale of 25,000 people but if you think of a team of 150 250 you should be you
1: should be doing that yeah mm. experiencing you know police officers and uh, my dad was a prison officer and, and so often in the people i speak to that have found great purpose in serving a you know disciplined service there has become this moment shortly after they leave which is who am i yes <laughs> Who am I beyond the service I've dedicated and devoted my life to? Did you experience a a little bit of um, post-Navy blues? I I,
0: I describe it as post-command blues as opposed to post-Navy blues. So um, I I definitely experienced post-command blues. Um, I found a sense of purpose uh, where I couldn't find a sense of purpose within an organisation was, yeah. say, so for example, Shell, what were we doing? We were delivering gas. Why were we delivering gas? Because that that makes sure that we keep gas supplies going to the UK. Um, National Grid felt like a real sense of purpose because you're delivering um, electricity and gas around the UK, noting that it's also a FTSE 25 business. Um, so it's, it's generating profit as well. Um, but but then afterwards, I said, OK, well, that that those are jobs and you're doing this it's not quite the same as military service so so I gave as much as I could to charities Mm -hmm. whether it be by being a trustee or now a chair I'm a a chairman for a charity or helping veterans get that that, and that for me became my sense of purpose Mm -hmm. so beyond just leading and I say just leading but leading Mm -hmm. people with a servant style which is different to Uh, different to others the way that I give back and I get a sense of purpose and and a a sense of fulfilling duty is is by fulfilling that charity angle Mm.
1: Mm. where's your heart and mind focused as we move forward
0: um I think I think the the big bit for me I thought about getting into politics and I decided I'm not going to do that it's just, Mm -hmm. just too toxic and I don't think you can change it to be honest yep. um so, so I think wherever wherever I can make a difference um and I can have an impact in a really positive way to people um where I can lead people effectively then then that's that's where that's where I operate
1: yeah I love that you um in your book uh SSM 14 I'll put the link in the comments uh you write um a couple of rules that you had or principles that you adopted um for your boat your 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 submarine what would those look like in the business world for the organizations that you're part of and run yes
0: yeah, so it's really interesting so i was i was um so i'm in the process of writing a, a second book at the moment about a as that happens mm-hmm. and it, it's been really difficult to write and the, and the reason being is because i'm trying to make it um really applicable to the business world and generation z effectively i think mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. It's, it's this is different generation if I write it for my generation they'll all understand it but it's not for them mm-hmm. and and it, it did make me start thinking about about you know what rules would be would I would I use in the business world because initially I used to say all those were translatable and I don't think they are always translatable mm-hmm. um over there <clears throat> um so I'm still in the process of writing writing those I think the biggest one for for, for me is about knowing yourself um yeah. I think too yeah. often um we don't know ourselves and we don't know what our capabilities are and we don't know when we're stressed and the effect that that can have on 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 people so so understanding yourself is is really really important i think knowing the context i've been caught out by the context in the business world quite a few times um, and not not to my detriment because i've recovered from it but understanding other people's agendas and context is, is really important i don't like doing that because I'm, I'm i'm you know a guy who just tell you how it is <laughs> um but understanding understanding the environment you operate in is is really really important i think the last one for me is um and i didn't write it there but it's about being kind there's not enough kindness in the world today um and it just feels we could just do so much more if everybody was just nice to each other and mm. we'll never achieve that because personal agenda comes into everything for, for a lot of people but if you can surround yourself with people who are like-minded in that particular aspect but are diverse in their thought and and, and think differently then then you're in a really good position to make a difference yeah
1: I love that When I was at the police, we would train people in the Lockhart's exchange principle, which is this idea that every contact leaves a trace. Mm -hmm. Um, Trained to our detectives and our police officers with the mindset of the offenders left something at scene. Every contact has left a trace. And I I started to develop this Mm -hmm. belief that so do leaders, you know, either positively or negatively, every interaction will leave a trace. And, I, and I've come to realize that those uh, leaders who lead with a bit of kindness, care, purpose, the desire to serve and sacrifice, they'll leave a, uh, a trace which is more positive. And, and I call that a heart print, a, a mm-hmm. legacy of our interactions. And I'd just love to know mm-hmm. what, um, what you believe your heartprint to be.
0: Uh, I think that people will realize that I really cared for them, mm-hmm. every single one. Whether you'd done badly, so one of the guys—it's really amazing. One of the guys on board the submarine, who eventually got thrown out of the navy for a variety of things, um, contacted me what two years after I left to say thank you for how fairly I treated him during that. I threw him out of the navy, but <laughs> I treated him fairly all the way through that, and I tried to look after him. And he apologized for all the things that he'd done during that period of time. I just two men said, "Well, don't worry about that. At least, you know, at least." You, you you felt kindness even though it wasn't the outcome that you wanted it to be, so so I think for me that would be the touch point. And if people lead the same way that I serve to lead, then then that's that's brilliant. It's a good example for others.
1: I love that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your contribution. And just be honoured if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self.
0: Everybody's got to look after each other. Look around, look at people. Everybody's got their own challenges all the way through. So kindness can be everything for this. Mm. My friend, thank
1: you so much. You're welcome. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday Thursday and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.